The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com slash partner. What's up, fam? My name's Alan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown. Uh, really glad that you are gathered with us uh, today. We're going to continue in our uh, series, uh, I Am, and we're, we're basically taking uh, the, the I Am statements that are found uh, in the Gospel of John, and we're, we're getting uh, a deeper understanding. What is Jesus uh, saying about himself? When he makes these declarations, what is he telling us about who he is? Uh, and one of the reasons there's such a big deal is that I am statement at the beginning uh, is how God identifies himself in the burning bush to Moses. He says, I am that I am. And that's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. So when Jesus is making these uh, massive statements, he is starting them off by saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Another way to think about these I am statements is every time Jesus is saying that to whoever he's saying it to, he's drawing a very clear line in the sand. He's making a, a huge statement about himself. Um, the reason I bring that up is uh, we're going to jump into things fairly quickly. Uh, we're going to hit the ground running, uh, and it's, we're, we're just going to push things today. We've got to push things because that's what Jesus did, and we've got to understand what he's saying and proclaiming uh, to us. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start out in verse 35, and then we'll get some more context in just a minute. But we're looking at when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? What is he proclaiming about himself? Uh, so as you're turning there, let me just set us up a little bit, uh, kind of talking a little bit about our own culture. Oftentimes in our culture, and here's, here, when I say culture, or anytime we reference culture, here's what we mean by culture. Culture is an overgeneralization of a group of people so that you can gain understanding about their beliefs and values. So when I say American culture, that's a grand oversimplification of what people value and believe, but it gives us insight. Uh, it helps us understand the current, uh, the the. If, if you think about it, it uh, culture is like a body of water. It lets us know what kind of current we're living in. It gives us understanding of our own context. So uh, oftentimes in American culture, people want a religion uh, where God is seen as a helper. We want God to, to be a helper. We want God to provide us with abundance and happiness uh, per perhaps that's material possessions, maybe that's uh, success or promotion at work. Uh, sometimes it's with uh, inner peace and tranquility. Uh, that, that's kind of our, our culture. The way it's summed up uh, oftentimes in, in, is uh, an American, American spiritualization uh, that, that people have deemed moralistic therapeutic deism. It's just kind of a, a worldview that we live in, moralistic, therapeutic deism. And there are uh, a guy named Christian Smith kind of gives us five tenets for uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism, five things that define this worldview. And I want to share them with us because it gives us context. What is the culture we're in? What is the body of water we're swimming in uh, so that we can better understand the context of what Jesus is saying to us today? Uh, so the first tenet of moralistic therapeutic deism is uh, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. So if you've ever heard of uh, this idea or concept that God is like a watchmaker, he built the watch so that it would run on its own, and then he distanced himself 
merely to look at, uh, observe, and see the watch at work. Uh, that, that's part of moralistic therapeutic deism, that God, there is a, there is a God who did create, uh, but he's often a distant God. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Uh, so uh, in the watchmaker's design, uh, he wants everybody to be good, to be nice. That's how, uh, how he set things into motion for us. Uh, number three, a uh, tenet of moralistic therapeutic deism is uh, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Right? Y'all, you, we've all heard this. Uh, whatever makes you happy, uh, do that, embrace that. Uh, mom, your mom's probably told you that. Uh, uh, or, or, or dad or someone who loves you has said, as long as it makes you happy, it's fine by me. Because that's, that's the current uh, we, we are living in. Number four, uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve problems. So again, back to that idea of a watchmaker who created a watch to run on its own uh, where people are, are nice and they are embracing happiness. The only time the watchmaker is needed is if the watch is broken, if the watch isn't working right. And so uh, this view of God who is a distant God who's only around if we need help. And the last one is, uh, uh, good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die. So this is kind of the culture. This is is what uh, the body of water we're swimming in. This is what our culture is proclaiming to us, uh, that God is a distant God who set the world into motion. Our job is to be good and nice, uh, and if, if we need help, he's there to help us. But he's not actively involved in our lives, and as long as you're good, one day you'll make it to heaven. Let me be very, very clear. This is a Jesusless religion and viewpoint. In this belief system, the belief system that we're wrapped up in, the cultural current that we live in, Jesus has no place. There is no need for a savior. There is no need for rescue. It's up to you. You just be good. So in this belief system, Jesus will never be treasured. He will only be irrelevant at best. And so as we're looking at John chapter 6, you're going to see Jesus draw the line, and he's going to destroy this worldview. This is not how the world works. This is not the God uh, of the Bible. And so we're going to take some time uh, to unpack that and look at what is Jesus saying about himself. Before we jump any further, let me pray for us uh, as we keep going. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your goodness and grace, your love and affection for us that you came to rescue us, to redeem us. God, that you are not a far-off, distant God who's only there to help. You are the God of the universe who's actively present in us and around us. God, we pray for today, our time today, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would better understand who you are and the claims that you're making. And God, by our understanding, may it change us the way we believe, and the way we act. Spirit of God, uh, it's not going to be through a demonstration of my words, but a demonstration of your power. We ask that you work and move in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to start off in verse 35. It's kind of our our key verse. Uh, And then I've got three words out of this verse that I want us to highlight uh, so that when we go back to the larger, larger context, we will remember these three words and we'll see them threaded throughout everything Jesus is saying. So, Uh, Verse 35, Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. First word that we want to highlight is bread. Jesus says, I am the, the bread. He didn't say a bread, not one of many breads. He says, I am the bread. He is distinguishing himself. He is making an exclusive claim. He already starts with, I am uh, Yahweh, the Lord. I am the Lord. And then as he uh, and continues on, he says, the bread. He's giving a very specific revelation of himself. He's helping us better understand who he is by calling himself the bread. So let me give you some context. Why would he, why would he uh, identify himself as bread? So for us, the way we think about bread is uh, bread is just an, an additive, or uh, lots of us want the no-carb diet, uh, so we, we try and avoid bread at all costs. Uh, but for the people back then, uh, bread was a means for life. This is what they ate. This wasn't a side dish. This wasn't an appetizer. This wasn't uh, the, the, the things that held together your delicious meats. This was how you ate. This was a means for survival and sustenance. Sometimes they had fish. Rarely they had meat. They ate bread. So, so what Jesus is saying, the very thing that sustains your life, that holds you together, the thing that you're dependent upon, the thing that you eat regularly, I am that. I am the very thing you need to survive. I am the bread. Next word is uh, life. I am the bread of life. The, the, the word life there, uh, there are two different Greek words uh, for uh, life. One is bios, uh, where we get the word biology from. And bios means to exist. Something exists. It, is, it has life. Uh, the other word for life in Greek is zoe. And it doesn't mean just to exist. It means to, to live. It means the, the good life, the uh, abundant life. It means this is what life is all about. I'm, I'm living it up, life. If, if you guys know me, my oldest daughter, uh, we named her Zoe for this very reason. Uh, we, life. God gives us life. And so uh, what, what Jesus is doing is, uh, in this passage, he is not using uh, bios. He is using Zoe. I am the bread that brings life, real life, abundant life. Uh, what you're longing for, what you're looking for, that kind of life. I, I am that. I am the good life. And the difference between Zoe and Bios, uh, I would say, is the difference between thriving and surviving. It's not just existing. It's living how you are supposed to live. The third word I want to bring us our attention to uh, that's going to be threaded throughout our passage is believe. Believe. It means to entrust oneself to another. It means to put confidence in. Belief doesn't mean that we labor or work for something. It means uh, that you can't earn it or you can't produce it. Belief is the key to receiving the bread of life. Believing in, trusting in God, overworking for God. Uh, belief doesn't mean knowledge of God. It means, uh, or about God, it means knowing 
God. So, so when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, what he's making a, a declaration is, uh, I am a, a person, I am God. To believe is to relate to me. It is to have a, a real relationship with me, an active vibe, not knowing about me, but knowing me and I knowing you. Belief is to trust in a person. So with these three key words, uh, we're going to back up to verse 25, and then we're going to kind of take a, a, a zoom through the, the whole book uh, of uh, John chapter 6, uh, the whole chapter of John chapter 6. So uh, picking up in verse 25, it says, When they found him, uh, being Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So we got to identify who is the they in this passage. They're talking to Jesus. Jesus is holding a conversation with a, a they. The they there is the multitude of people that Jesus fed when he performed the miracle of the, the 5,000. So just earlier in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus has, has gathered together a, a multitude. A whole crowd is around him listening to him preach and teach. Uh, and it comes the, the time of day where people are hungry and they need to eat. And so his disciples are kind of asking him, uh, and he's kind of asking them, what should we do to feed these people? And he suggests, why don't we go buy it? And one guy's like, Philip's like, no way, we don't have enough money. You don't know how, how we can't afford this. And another disciple comes up and said, Jesus, all we have are five loaves and two fishes. What, what should we do? So Jesus takes the loaves and he takes the fishes and he divides them up and he feeds the multitude. It says 5,000 men, but people speculate that that's not counting women, it's not counting children. There's odds are that there's 15,000 people there. And Jesus does this miraculous uh, work where he takes five loaves and two fishes and he feeds a multitude of uh, thousands upon thousands of people. In fact, the, the, the disciples finish collecting all the leftovers and each disciple is left with a full basket for himself. God provides. All of a sudden people are like, oh, oh we got a prophet. This, there's something about this guy. He's done something. And so their first instinct is, let's make him king. We are a captive people under the oppression of the Romans. Let's make him our king. He can do something about this. Soon as Jesus uh, knows what they're, they're interested in, he takes off for the hills. So what we find is the next day, they found him. They, they found Jesus after the multitude, after he fed the multitude, uh, and they come to him, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? So, so what you see and what we're going to, to look at is a conversation. This is Jesus talking to the multitude of people who have just seen him perform a miracle. These people want to make him king, and I want you to see how Jesus responds uh, in this conversation. So verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Reference to bread, one of our key words. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Uh, Jesus kind of opens up the conversation, uh, and he's like, hey guys, uh, you're seeking me for the wrong reason. Uh, you, you, you came here because you got your bellies full yesterday, and you want me to fill your belly now. 
Uh, you're coming after me because you think I have something uh, to offer you. You want uh, something that, that I gave you last time. And like I mentioned, I, I think uh, this is part of the culture that we are swimming in. We, we want a God who can be a helper to us. American spirituality is a God who makes our life better. Uh, God is viewed as, as an enhancement to get the things that we want. And so you, you see uh, the, the crowd gathered around Jesus. They have something that they want from him. And Jesus out front says, I know why you're here, and I'm actually going to change it. I'm gonna, you, you think you want one thing, but I'm going to show you you need another. It, it reminds me of uh, before working with uh, Midtown, I uh, worked with a rescue mission uh, for, for almost four years, working with homeless men and addicts. And oftentimes when people showed up, they were looking for us to meet a crisis situation. They wanted us to help them with food or water or shelter, and we gladly did that. But one of the reasons we wanted to help them with that is we actually wanted them to realize you're after something bigger. You actually need more help than just the next meal. That next meal's not going to sustain you for life. We want to help you out. We want to make, help you make a bigger transition. It's kind of like uh, what the Bible says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. It's not in the Bible. Guys, don't sweat it. Some of you were like, I don't know, but you're the preacher guy. It's not in the Bible. It's just a good saying. This is what Jesus is doing, though. Jesus is saying, you're coming to me because you want something from me. I'm not going to give you what I want because I've got something different and better to offer you. And you're going to see this pattern as we continue through this text. Jesus is going to continue to say, you want this, but I'm going to give you this. You were thinking you needed this, but I'm going to give you this. So they, they first came to Jesus because of their, their appetites, their stomach. And Jesus wanted to let them to know very quickly, it's not about your next meal. It's about a deeper appetite. I'm not, after, I'm not here to satisfy your, your hunger in your belly. I'm here to satisfy the hunger in your heart. You, you want real life. You want meaning. You want purpose. I'm, I'm here for that. Continuing in verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Uh, Jesus already told them they've been laboring for the wrong reasons. They've been working for physical food, uh, and they actually are, should be after something bigger, more, deeper. They should be after the spiritual food uh, that satisfies the gnawing within us. And you remember, like I said, there's a pattern you're going to see in this interaction. The people say they want something. What must we do to work? What must we do to earn? How can we get this life, this meaning, this purpose that, that you say you have to offer? What must we do? How can we work for it? How can we earn it? And Jesus is going to take that very desire and he's going to say, uh, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to offer you something different and something better. So, so Jesus doesn't say, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to work. What he says is, here's what you need to do. You need to believe. He, he totally flips the script. 
So he knows and he understands that context that in Judaism, it's all about the law. It's all about following the law and and not only following that law, but the Pharisees have made up laws about the laws and there's this constraining weight and pressure to perform and to do and to please God. And, And they're asking, what should we do? What else do we need to do? We're trying to do what everybody's told us to do. And Jesus says, it's not about what you do. It's about who you believe in. He offers them something different, something better. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, and they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So in this conversation, Jesus turns it upside down, uh, and, and they're saying, yes, Jesus, we, we want this. We want life. We've been searching for life, uh, not just to exist, but, but to thrive, to really, look, uh, to really live. We've been looking and longing for uh, We all do this. This is all of us. We all want the good life. We're all chasing after why are we here, why do we matter, what is life about. We're all longing to live, to really live. Zoe, not just exist, not bios, but Zoe, to, to live, to, to thrive. We all want this. And so they naturally say, Jesus, give it to us. We want it. Of course they want it. The problem for them, the problem for us is that oftentimes we don't go to the right bread. We have the hunger, we have the gnawing inside, but we're not turning to the bread of life. We're turning to to false breads, to, to fake breads. We're turning to things that we think might satisfy us. Maybe it's success or a relationship or uh, a performance or, or uh, the way we look. We chase after, we long for satisfying the gnawing within us. And the problem for many of us is we're looking in the wrong place. And so as soon as Jesus says, I am the bread of life sent from heaven, I am how you live, what matters, everybody's like, yes, I, I, I want this. So remember the pattern, they want this, they want the bread of life. But Jesus, again, takes their desire and he flips it. He gives them something different and better. And I want you to to see it. We're back to verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to you, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Jesus takes their desire. They, they want the life. They want what, what he has to offer. We, we knew it. You had something we wanted. We thought it was food, but you got something different. But he flips it on them. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am what you were looking for. I am what you have been longing for. You see, Jesus did not come into the world to just give bread. He came in the world to be bread. He, he flipped it. Jesus did not come into the world mainly to give bread, but to be bread. They wanted what Jesus had to offer. They wanted they, they want life. They want meaning. They want purpose. And Jesus says, I'm me. I'm not going to give you something else other than myself. So the, the, the problem for them, the problem for many of us, is that we still view God as a helper. We still view Jesus as someone or something that can give us what we desire. We view that, that coming to Jesus will make our life uh, better and we will obtain the earthly desires that we have. When Jesus makes the statement, I am the bread of life, he's saying something altogether different. He's not saying I'm a helper who can make you, give you what you want. He's saying, I'm, I'm everything, and if you don't eat of me, it, you won't ever find it. You'll never be satisfied. It's, it's not about what I can give you other than my, myself. And the big problem we have in our culture is pastors have been painting a false picture of who Jesus is. And they've been framing up Jesus as if he's, he's some helper watchmaker who, who will just help your life get better. And so they're trying to get people around, and they proclaim a consumeristic God who will meet your needs and make your, all your dreams come true, who will fulfill the desires of your heart. Jesus is drawing a clear line in the sand, and he says, I'm, I'm not that dude. I'm not that dude. You see, Jesus did not come to meet our earthly desires. He came to change our desires. He's coming after our hearts. You think you know what you want. You think you know what life is all about. I'm, I'm here to destroy it. I'm here to change it all. So here's a good question, I think, for us. So just pause in the middle of this. Do we view Jesus as useful to us to get what we want? Or do we view Jesus as a treasure? Is he enough? If he never gave us anything else, if, if there was no more good gifts, if there was nothing else that he offered to us, is he enough? The fact that he died for us, the fact that, that he took the penalty that we deserve, the, the, the fact that, that everything he did for us on the cross, is that enough? Are we looking for something else from Jesus? Are we trying to use Jesus to get something we want, a relationship or success or, or the American dream? Or is he enough? I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 
it gets really confusing for me. So I'm assuming for us, uh, in the cultural context in which we are living in, in, in the waters in that which we are swimming in, this idea of a moralistic, therapeutic deism, it perpetuates this consumer Christianity that God exists to meet our needs. I think we all could be tempted by the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That Jesus is going to give us what we want. He's going to help us fulfill all of our dreams. If we follow him, we'll get the wife or spouse or husband that we're longing for. Maybe kids, maybe it's success. I, I don't know what your hopes and dreams are. I don't know what you long for. I'm not sure what it is that, that you think will satisfy. But there's some version of us, in all of us, because of the current we are living in, that we think Jesus is going to give us what we want. But that's not how it works. See, the gospel is that in order to invite us in, Jesus gave up everything. So that when we choose to follow him, we're willing to give up everything. Jesus didn't come to give us bread. He came to be bread. And so what I've seen <clears throat> in the cultural context and even in the Christianity world around us is that people have believed false promises about Jesus. That there would be minimal cost to them and that they would just benefit. And so uh, they never met the woman of their dreams and now they're gone because they're disappointed God didn't fulfill his end. They never got the job or status they wanted so now they're gone because Jesus didn't do what they, told, what they were told he would do. Or, or maybe they figured out later on that following Jesus was more than what they bargained for. And so now they're, they're gone. They feel tricked or lied to or manipulated. And they leave because they wanted something that they thought God could offer them. And they didn't realize that God was offering himself. So, so let me say it this way. The good life, Zoe, good life is not found in possessions or circumstances. It is found in his presence. The good life is not found in possessions or circumstances. It's found in his presence. It's not something that he gives to you. It's something he is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So I was reading an article recently by a guy named uh, Trevin Wax, and he was kind of talking about this uh, cultural context that we live in and how we have to be very clear in the way that we explain things because if we don't explain things clearly, people might assume something wrongly. They might assume something different than what we're saying. And so in particular, he was actually talking about Zoe, life, the good life. Uh, and, and here's a quote he said. He said about our, uh, he says, the idea of abundance, abundant life, is about the God-centered, flourishing life that belongs to every Christian and would even include the martyr who holds on to the hope after witnessing his wife and children slaughtered before his eyes. 
And then he says there, meaning the American culture, their idea of abundance is about the American dream with a veneer of Christian spirituality. I think he's hitting on something. Gosh, it, it destroyed me when I read it. It's this idea, it's so easy to believe in the current we are living in, moralistic, therapeutic deism, this idea that God is so supposed to be our helper. He's, help, he's supposed to help us fulfill the desires of our heart, and there's this veneer of godliness to it. But what he's saying is what Jesus offers us, the, the bread of life, the good life, is bigger and better than your desires, so much so that if everything was taken away, and the example he uses is his kids and his wife slaughtered in front of him, there is still life because God is with you and present. That's different than the American dream. That kind of life is very different than I think what gets preached to us. But this is what Jesus is doing. This is the line he's drawing. I am the bread of life. Because Jesus always satisfies and he always sustains. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Because Jesus is the bread of life broken for us. It means that he must be consumed, that we must eat. What Jesus is doing, like I said, is he's drawing that line in the sand. And he's saying either you eat, either you believe, or you don't. There is no middle ground. Either you eat, either you believe, either you consume, and everything about you changes... Or you, you don't. Either you eat or you walk away. There is no cultural Christianity. There is no halfway. Because following Jesus is about getting Jesus. It's not about anything else. Sure, he gives life and it's good. But if you're pursuing Jesus and, and trying to use him to get something else besides him, you're missing the point. That is not the bread he has to offer. He is offering himself. And, man, this is the pattern that we're called to live in. Jesus died to invite us in so that we, in turn, would die that we might invite others in. He came as the bread of life sent from heaven to satisfy the deep desires of our heart, that longing, that gnawing, that desire for purpose and meaning. He came to satisfy that so that 
we could be a people who are on mission. So, so when we talk about every group around the pool, when we talk about life groups on mission, this is, this is what we're talking about. What we're saying is, your neighbors are hungry. They have a deep desire, a gnawing inside. They don't have hope, and they're searching, and they're going from thing to thing, whether it's relationship or job or success. They're looking at bread. They're trying to satisfy the deep desires of their heart. So when we talk about mission, what we're saying is you have found bread, bread that brings life. To be on mission is to offer your neighbors bread. It's to feed the gnawingness in their soul to offer them Jesus. I'm going to wrap things up. We'll skip on down to verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So if you remember back where we started, we started with Jesus speaking to a multitude. 5,000, some would say 15,000 people gathered around Jesus as he taught. Now, we're left with 12. So, so Jesus went through from, from speaking at the colonial life arena to a packed house to, to a living room. 12 people. Because the commitment to Jesus is high from people when he gives us what we want. But many turn away when he reveals his true identity and he calls us to follow him. Many turned away. Not many. Thousands. So I just, I want to get personal. For you. For me. Who, who is Jesus to us? Not, not just confessionally. I'm not asking you to tell me what you believe. I, I mean functionally. I mean if somebody watched you, if they observed the way that you lived, if they watched what you spent your money on and how you devoted your time, not just publicly but privately, if somebody observed the way that you lived, what would they learn about you and what you believe in and what you trust in and what you hope for? So I'm sure we would all in the room confess Jesus is Lord. He is the bread of life. But functionally, by the way that you live, what, what do you actually believe? Is Jesus really the bread of life broken for you? Does he really satisfy the deep longings of our hearts? Do we really believe that the good life is found in him? Would we really say, what you have already done for me is enough? No matter what comes, no matter what happens, whether I get what I long for or everything I long for is taken away from me, you are enough. We have found the bread of life. Or, 
Do we live as if Jesus is only supposed to be a distant helper, a watchmaker, whom we call upon to achieve our earthly desires? Do we view Jesus as the one who will give us what we wanted and what we hoped for? Do we believe that Jesus exists to make our life better, easier, and more pain-free? Either Jesus is the bread of life or he's not. So today, if you've been using Jesus to find success, or if you've been using Jesus to find a relationship, or if you've been using Jesus to find the good life, I'm asking you to come and eat. It's not about what you can get from Jesus. It's an invitation to get Jesus, to treasure him, to, to let the very good gifts that he gives, and he gives us lots of good gifts. Everywhere you turn, God is pouring out his goodness to us. But are, are the good gifts that he's given to us, are we distracted by them? Are we letting the very good gifts that flow down from heaven point us back to the giver? Are we satisfied in Jesus. So we've been doing this liturgy, uh, and one of the things that we're doing in liturgy is we want to uh, end our time, uh, our sermons together with communion. And the idea behind communion is it helps refocus us. It, it draws our attention back to our desperate need for Jesus. It's a reminder when we take the bread, this is his body broken for us. He is the bread of life that we must consume. All of life is found in his presence and his goodness. Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus was eating his last meals with his disciples. And he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, I'm, in a few minutes, band's coming back up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. That is, it for those who believe and trust in Jesus as the bread of life. And every time we break that bread and every time we dip it in the juice, we are reminded that it was his body that had to be broken. Bread cannot be consumed unless it has been broken. And we must ingest it. We must eat it. We must believe in it. And we're reminding ourselves every time that life is found in him. And he is enough. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life and that satisfies the deep longings of our soul. And God, I, I want to confess for me, for us, I get very distracted by your good gifts and the things that you give to us. And I, I think that, that other things Good things are going to be the bread of life. That other things will give me meaning and purpose and fulfillment that will, will satisfy the aching in my soul. 
only to be drawn back to remember that the life is found in you, not in the gifts, but in the giver. God, I pray that that real understanding of you as the bread of life would transform us. God, that we would not be the same, that it would change the way we relate to you and our expectations of you and the demands that you put upon our life, God, because you are the bread of life. We have found what we are looking for. God, may that be the thing that drives us in our city to love others, to give them the hope that we have, to let them in on the bread that we have found that satisfies the desires of our heart. God, focus us as a people on you, the bread of life. We ask this in your name.